Coming up, the March for the Greatest Trophy in Sports begins tonight as I'll preview the Stanley Cup playoffs and the top storylines heading into the tournament. The NBA playoffs are into the conference semifinals. What can we expect out of these four series as we're into the second round? And ooh, the Celtics did not have a good start to their series against the Milwaukee Bucks. The Yankees are the hottest team in baseball as they're on the cusp of a 10-game winning streak. Can they keep it up? Also, Trevor Bauer gets two years. Was that too many? And a wrap on the 2022 NFL Draft as I'll recap what took place in Vegas from the selections, the setting, and the entire production on TV. A new day, a new week, and a new month brings a new podcast. It is all on deck, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening, my good people. Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits as the calendar turns to May. And we prep for a new week and a new sports month because there's a lot to get into. And I'm happy that you stopped by to get your fix as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me, whether from the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday... I welcome you guys and gals back. Lots to get into here as we turn the calendar, as I mentioned. A lot of sports to cover over the course of the next 30 to 31 days, obviously with Memorial Day being four weeks from today, the unofficial beginning of summer, which I'm sure a lot of people, especially here in the Northeast, are looking forward to, waiting for those warmer days. It's a thundery, cloudy, rainy start to this week, but hey, let's not that put a damper on this podcast, especially if you're out west. Or in the south where you're probably laughing right now thinking, well, it's bright and sunny here in 80 degrees. God bless you guys and gals. But now as we're into May, we have a lot of things cooking where the PGA will begin two weeks from this Thursday. And I know there was a Tiger sighting in Tulsa, Southern Hills, where the PGA, the second leg of the four major golf tournaments that will take place. So we'll see if Tiger is going to be in the mix as far as participating in that tournament. If you remember during the Masters He was definitely going to play St. Andrews at the British, but we didn't know whether the PGA or even the U.S. Open next month during Father's Day weekend was going to be a possibility, but who knows? Chances are you may see Tiger 
teeing off there two weeks from this coming Thursday. So we have that. The Run of the Roses. The Derby will kick off the first leg of what racing will hope to be a Triple Crown. So we have that with all the pomp and circumstance, the derbies, the outfits. Hopefully the weather is nice with the backdrop being Churchill Downs. So you're going to have that to look forward to this coming Saturday. And then also the Indianapolis 500, which I get it for the old school racing fan. As I've talked about in the past, if you've listened to me going way back, for whatever the reason, the Indy 500 was always, to me, the beginning of summer. Whenever that race took place at the Indianapolis Speedway, where you had guys like Mario Andretti and A.J. Foyt and Jackie Stewart, guys like that who, when you looked at that Sunday, and it was always warm, it was always hot, especially growing up in the 70s the way I did as a boy in the Bronx, and to have that race, now granted, was I in front of the TV watching every lap? Absolutely not, but you just knew that when you got the Sports Illustrated later on that week and you knew who was going to be on the cover, the Indianapolis 500 was a major event. Granted, it's not the same anymore with NASCAR and all the other auto racing events that take place between NASCAR, Formula One, etc., but of course you have that, and on top of everything that's already on our sports plates, with baseball getting into its second month, the NBA playoffs obviously into the second round, we'll recap the NFL draft, and then finally, we can now usher in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Because as I've talked about for weeks, the regular season just dragged on, which seemed like to be an eternity. And there were reasons, which I obviously won't get into if you listen to me. We know the Olympics, etc., COVID. We get it. But now we give hockey its just due to go along with the NBA as they begin the path on who will be the last team standing on the ice to raise the best trophy in all the sports, that being the Stanley Cup. And as we get right into it, to me, the top storylines heading into this tournament, which begins tonight with four games, and of course, we'll go through the schedule of tonight and tomorrow in particular, because you'll have all eight series unravel or unfold here over the course of the next 48 hours, and of course, depending on what time you're listening to this. But storyline number one obviously has to be the Tampa Bay Lightning and their quest to three-peat. We have not seen a team win three straight Stanley Cups going back to those Islander teams of the early 80s. We had a couple of opportunities here since then where the 92-93 Penguins who won back-to-back cups there early on with Mario and Yarmir Yager. Remember, speaking of the Islanders, they were the team to dethrone them in the conference semifinals without a Pierre Turgeon in that Game 7 in overtime. David Volek, how could you forget if you're an Islander fan? That was one instance. And then fast-forward Penguin fans about 24, 25 years later to where the Penguins under Sidney Crosby had... Back-to-back cups in their back pocket against San Jose and Nashville, and then they lost in the second round themselves to the eventual Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. So here we go again, another team looking to see if they could get that three-peat to get themselves into a deep Stanley Cup run, and I'll give you the answer to that, and I'm sure if you've listened to me last year, especially after Tampa when they knocked out the Islanders in the... Now, it wasn't a conference final because, remember, the divisions were all out of whack due to COVID, but considering that they were the cup semifinals, I felt at that point that Tampa wasn't going to go as far, and I'll get into that a little bit later on. But that's storyline number one. The second storyline were the two dominant teams in the East and West this year being Florida and Colorado with their dominance, especially down the stretch of the season, where Florida had an 11-game winning streak and the Colorado Avalanche had a 9-game winning streak very late into the month of April. And then now, with all the expectations, these monster years, 
Florida being the President's Trophy winner. And we know how President's Trophy winners during the regular season, they rarely come out on the other end with the Stanley Cup. So you wonder whether or not the Panthers are going to be ready to take this journey through four rounds and however many games to get their first cup in franchise history. And who knows if the Avalanche will be on the other side of that, considering that they met for the cup 26 years ago when the Florida Panthers used to play at the old Miami Arena, if you remember that in Overtown. So then to flip that to Colorado, where they've had super high expectations in the Rocky Mountains the last two years, including last year when they had a 2-0 series lead against Vegas and it went up in smoke after that. And we know the players that they've had on the team. We know about Nathan McKinnon, the former number one pick overall, Gabriel Landeskog, and that team, which is looking like it's going to be ready to rule the West. But we all know with the playoffs, it's always a crapshoot. Just because you had the most points, just because you had the best record, doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be in a conference final in preparation to take it to that next level and then compete for a Stanley Cup. So you have to wonder about that. And then the last one, which may be a little, it may not be a big storyline because this team may be one and done here in the postseason. But the only reason why I bring up the Pittsburgh Penguins is because this right here is truly going to be, I would think, the last possibility that you see Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang all together in a Penguin uniform because with the latter two being Malkin and Chris Letang being unrestricted free agents, who knows, with as many years as they put on this team, Letang, I believe, 15 years, and Malkin, I believe he's also been on this team 16, 17 years. I believe he was drafted the year, off the top of my head, I should know this, but he was either drafted the year after Crosby in 05 or the year before that in 04. And you have to wonder whether or not if this team has any more magic in them, not to say that they're going to go on to a cup and win it, but do they have what it takes? And we're going to talk about them in a minute because they're already going to be up to their eyeballs with the goaltending situation in Tristan Jarry. And like I said, I'll get into that in a minute. But this could be it for this threesome being on this team for the last time ever in Penguins uniforms. Now, Crosby's going to be here for a few more years. He's signed. But as far as Malkin and Latang, this could be it for these two veterans that have won three Stanley Cups and go back into the early aughts of this century knowing that this first round against the Penguins could be the last time we see them all dressed up in black and gold. Now, I know people could say, well, Jay Reels, what about the Maple Leafs? Look what happened to them last year. Look at the year that they've had this year. Them trying to get over the hump. Well, their first-round opponent happens to be the back-to-back defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. So this is a team that, with all of their success here in the regular season, and them being second in the Atlantic, and having to face Tampa in the first round, geez, could you have asked for a harder series for Toronto to even slay any type of playoff ghosts and for them to do it in the first round? So yes, we could talk about Toronto being that team that is spotlighted or highlighted here as a storyline. But because you're going up against the Cup champs, and as fascinating and intriguing as the series is, but they may not be long for this postseason because of who they're facing. 
And yes, we can look at the Ovechkin injury in Washington, but considering that they made it in as a second wild card, do you really expect them to go long and far in this postseason? Considering ever since they won the cup, they haven't even made it out of the first round. And who knows the availability of Ovechkin? Who knows if he's going to be suited up for game one? Who knows if he's going to come back game three at any point in the series or even in the playoffs for that matter, depending on how far the Capitals go. So yes, we could even look at Ovechkin as a subplot or an underlying storyline. But again, the Capitals probably aren't going to threaten any team in the East for a Stanley Cup, let alone get out of a first round. So now let's get into the series, which when we take a look at the entire landscape, I mean, how could you not look at Tampa and Toronto as being the one series that everybody's going to focus in on based on the Leafs playoff history, especially going back, you want to say to 1967 when they haven't won a Stanley Cup, but obviously recently, them being the team that lost to Montreal last year in the first round, a team that was supposed to bury the Canadiens and they were doing so with a 3-1 series lead and they weren't able to get out of that series. And Tampa's Tampa. And that's the one where we just don't know. It's pretty much a coin flip, but you have to wonder the confidence You have to wonder the psyche of this team. And we get it. Austin Matthews could score 100 goals in a regular season. And Mitch Marner could be the offensive dynamo and the threat that you could see throughout the course of 82 games. And you want to put that together with John Tavares and him being the wily veteran, the captain who's been down this road before. But when you're going up against a team that has the medal, that has the experience, that has the know-how, the toughness, etc. How does this not bode well for a lead team And granted that, you have to wonder whether or not the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be at wit's end, that they're going to be at the end of their mental, psychological, and even emotional threshold. This is a team, remember, they won a Stanley Cup in September of 2020, followed that by a Stanley Cup in July of 2021. And now here it is, they're going to have to rally the troops one more time to get to a third and win a third straight Stanley Cup? I'll say it right off the bat, and I I said it last June, July, I'm going to say it right now, the Tampa Bay Lightning are not going to win a Stanley Cup this year. Can they go to the Cup? Of course, just based on everything that I just mentioned here over the last few years. But as much as this is a tough chore for Toronto... This could be telling for Tampa because no matter how much experience, no matter how much championship, medal, and fortitude that you may have, if this is a seven-game knockdown dragout series, and who knows if you lose a couple of players in the process, they are not going to be long for this postseason. Will they win a second round? They possibly can. But after that, that's not to say that if they swept Toronto and did it in easy fashion that they still can't get knocked off here over the next two or three rounds. But you know if this is going to be an all-out battle, one that's going to have a couple of overtimes in the mix, you're going to have some players hurt, nagging injuries, etc. I do not think Tampa, by any means necessary, and this is not going out on a limb, they are not going to not only win, I don't even think they're going to make it to the cup final. How about that? Because the mileage... And if they start off this series, let's say on down three games to one or even down three, two, 
and have to go home to win a game six to go back to Toronto and who knows how that's going to unfold. That's where it's going to start to weigh on them. And yes, could it make them tougher? Could it make them better? Yes, but to do this for a third straight time, it's not going to be easy. And that's a series that I can't even predict, people. I mean, I'm going to have to, obviously, and there's a part of me that wants to see Toronto win, and you would think that if there's going to be any way for them to get the piano off this team, organization, and even cities back, is for them to beat Tampa in this first round. And I'm going to say Toronto does it in seven. I would like to say six, but game six is going to be in Tampa. And I don't know if Toronto's going to be ready for that. And you would also think that watch Tampa get out to a 3-1 series lead. And then Toronto, the sky's going to be falling. And then they win the next three. And then who knows? Sometimes you need to have that cataclysmic moment in order for your playoff, not lives, but for your playoff chances to improve because you were able to get over a mountain. Granted, it's the first round. You would like to see this later on, especially maybe in a conference final and then obviously the Stanley Cup. But I'm going to pick Toronto in seven. One of these days, it's going to have to somehow, some way, they're going to have to overcome this. And even if they do win the series, does this mean that they're going to go on to the Stanley Cup final and win the whole thing? Probably not. And I will even say this. I am not 100% confident that they're going to win this series. But I'm going to pick them only because of not only it being an anti-Tampa pick, but this is going to be tough sledding for Tampa just as, as it is going to be for Toronto. But only because the Leafs have so much hanging over their heads with everything that has transpired here just recently and then obviously going back 55 years that you would think something's got to give at some point. Now I'm going to bounce around here because when I look at some of these other series, I look at St. Louis and Minnesota. Those are two teams that are pretty much similar and they were very close in points here at the regular season where the Wild, if you remember back on New Year's Day, these two teams played in the Winter Classic and yes, what is that? had to do with May 2nd being the start of the playoffs. Absolutely nothing, but these are two teams that, to me, are going to fight tooth and nail. I know the St. Louis Blues has a little bit of that cup championship aspect where they won a Stanley Cup three years ago, and you would think that, not to say it's going to carry over by any stretch, because Minnesota definitely does have a very stout team. They have a top player and a one Kirill Kaprizov. I know I'm saying his name wrong. But with the Wild having home ice, and we know home ice isn't like a home field advantage in the NFL, and even that you could look at and flip the coin as far as whether or not that that has a significant advantage, but home ice is different than any of the other sports because it seems like whenever you have a game in your building that you have to win, it always seems that the other team could just shut the crowd up in the first couple of minutes, either with a big hit, obviously a big goal, And then the advantage goes to the road team to possibly winning a series. So I would think with St. Louis and Minnesota, this could be a long series. I could see this going seven. I'm going to pick the Wild in seven, not only just on the home ice. I just think they have better offensive players. I know you have Vladimir Tarasenko there on the Blues side, who's also a top-notch goal scorer in this league. You also have Jordan Cairo, who's a guy that you also have to factor in as a guy who's going to be a threat on the offensive end. But I think Minnesota, not just based on home ice, but they've had a very good year and an under-the-radar type year if you're not following the sport on a day-to-day basis. You know, obviously you can't forget the a guy like Matt Zuccarello, who Ranger fans know very well here in this part of the 
Northeast. But I would think that the Wild not only have a very good shot to just win this round, but they could possibly go deep into this postseason. How far obviously remains to be seen, but I think they're going to survive here this first round, winning in seven games. I'll go to the Rangers and Penguins only because that the Penguins I mentioned from the start with Tristan Jarry, he's going to be out until God knows when. And that's a guy who definitely wants to rebound after that first round against the Islanders last year where he pretty much gift-wrapped Game 5, if you remember, where he came out of the net and the puck just took a weird bounce as he tried to clear the puck. And next thing you know, Josh Bailey hit it in the back of an open net, which pretty much turned that series around. But Jerry is a guy that has experience. If you're looking at the Penguins and a one Casey DeSmith, I'm sure you're probably thinking, we're not going to get out of this first round, especially with a Ranger team that's had a very good year. And the Rangers have pretty much had the Penguins number this year, so this is a matchup that I'm sure this is going to have to be pretty much Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, going back to those cup years or even early on when they were a threat back in 08-09 when they made it to -to back-to-back cups. If they're not going to have a good series and if the Rangers are going to shut them down, and obviously in goal they have the advantage there with Igor Shosturkin, I can see the Rangers winning this in five games. So the Rangers... They're going to probably steamroll through an aging veteran and pretty much last go-around for this squad, as I mentioned at the very top. But I see the Penguins bowing out pretty easily unless the Fountain of Youth kicks back in for those aforementioned players and even Chris Letang on the back end for the Penguins. Let's get right to it. If Ovechkin's not going to be in the series, this is going to be Florida... I won't say sweep, I'll give the Capitals one game, but if you're not going to see Alex Ovechkin in this series at all, or who knows when, this has to be the Panthers' series to lose. I mean, there's no way that they could lose this, can they? Even with Ovechkin in the lineup, you would think that the Panthers would win in six. I'm going to say in five, because Ovechkin is going to be compromised, we don't know how severe this injury is, and it's a shoulder. Who knows if it's going to affect his style of play? Who knows if it's going to affect his shot? And this is one that the Capitals, it's going to be tough for them to overcome if they're not going to have their star, the grade eight, in their lineup to do any type of damage to a Panther team, as I said, have been rolling pretty much all year long. As for Boston and Carolina, the one thing that you worry about if you're the Bruins is who's going to be a net. And we understand that you're going to have a tandem there of Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman. And you wonder how this is going to be managed throughout the course of the series. Are you just going to go with the hot guys? Similar to what the Islanders have done here in the last couple of years. If you're going to have Semyon Varlamov or Ilya Sorokin. They're pretty much going to have to mix and match here to try to get past the Carolina team. Who again, had a dominant year. Tops in the Metropolitan Division led by their two Stars and Sebastian Ajo and Andres Vetsnikov. The Hurricanes are just as formidable as the teams such as Toronto or even Florida. You want to look at Tampa as well. They belong up there. And not just based on their points and the victories, etc. But they are a team that although we didn't see them in the postseason last year as they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the second round. But this is a team that could go to a Stanley Cup. And the Bruins, we know about. Their experience and their medal here, led by Patrice Bergeron. And although this team 
has pretty much dragged themselves to the finish line. They had a slow start. Middle of the year, they finally picked it up and then obviously made it into the postseason. But they do have threats there, whether your name is David Pasternak, who's always a guy you have to watch for on the ice. We know about Taylor Hall, has been up and down. Charlie McAvoy, we understand he's a very solid player. And you would think even with a guy like Brad Marchand, who's going to be that blood and guts type player, who's going to try to bring out the worst in the Hurricanes, throw their game off. You know Marchand's a pest in that regard. But is that going to be enough for them to beat a Carolina team that has been, like I said, very consistent, borderline dominant, and with the goaltending scenario, who knows? I want the Bruins to go far in the postseason. I want them to make it out of this round, but I got to think smart and think with my head over my heart. I'm going to pick the Hurricanes in six here. It's interesting because the NHL does need to have the original six teams go as far as they possibly can. Obviously, you do not have Montreal. You do not have Chicago. Yes, you do have Boston. You do have New York, the Rangers. You don't have the Red Wings, of course. And when you have just a handful, and granted, I get it, six teams when you talk about the original six, but when you only have the Rangers, the Bruins, and the Maple Leafs, it's not as if you have all six teams to where you may have these teams go deep or maybe even meet up in a Stanley Cup final. Obviously, that's not going to be the case. And you may have all three of these teams, or at least two of them, I should say. I shouldn't say all three because the Rangers should survive against the Penguins. But you may have Toronto and Boston out in the first round before you know it. So something just to keep in mind, I get it that people are going to say Jay Reels, nobody cares about the original six. Nobody's going to pay attention to that. Well, when it comes to markets and when it comes to popularity, when it comes to what the casual fan knows about the NHL, yes, they may not know five players on the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they'll know Toronto because they're an original six team. Just like last year in the Stanley Cup Final, granted they weren't any good, but when the Montreal Canadiens are there at the end going up against Tampa, the casual sports fan, or at least the fan who knows hockey, is going to say, oh, wow, Montreal's there? Same as if the Yankees were bad and then made it to a World Series as an underdog, people are going to say, oh, wow, the Yankees are there. So people are going to pay attention. And without having any of the other original six teams that at least are going to go deep, I'm not saying they have to get to a Stanley Cup final, but if they're going to go deep into a playoff, yes, you'd want to see the Boston Bruins of the world, the Toronto Maple Leafs, etc., get to a conference semi or even a conference final so the antenna for the average sports public will be put on notice. A very interesting series will take place between Nashville and Colorado where Nashville just beat them in the final week of the season. Now, granted, it was late in the year and I'm sure Colorado didn't dress everybody. But this is going to be fascinating because we know Nashville has become a hockey hotbed of sorts over the last few years. And Nashville is not going to be a walkover if you're a team like Colorado that is looking just to try to get themselves way ahead of the game to the point that they're already have their eyes set on a Stanley Cup final. But we know Nashville with Roman Yossi and Matt Duchesne who had over 40 goals and Philip Forsberg. This is going to be an offensive battle here because they can match up pretty much top line for top line when it comes to what Colorado could put out there. And we know that Philip Forsberg could be a guy that could just on his own, could change the game. And on top of that, when you have Duchesne, who's been around the league for a long time, to have that veteran leadership, and 
who knows? Can they go ahead and shock the hockey world by beating a Colorado team that we all know is pretty much visions of a Stanley Cup run and getting to a Stanley Cup final and winning it, dancing in their heads? I could see this being a long series, and I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado jumps out early, just like they did with Vegas, and then here comes Nashville. Now, the big thing is, is that they have to be solid defensively in order for them to slow down that machine of the avalanche. And if they're able to do that, and of course match goals with the avalanche, and we all know in the postseason it's a different game. If you're expecting a 7-4 game or 6-5 each and every night, we know when these teams play each other, familiarity, and not only that, regularity starts to kick in and the games and the ice starts to shrink a little bit. I think Colorado will get out of the series, but this could be similar to Tampa having to go through a slog of a first round and that's either going to make them or break them as they move on into this postseason. I'm going to say Colorado wins in six tough games. You're going to have a couple of overtime games there. Who knows? Double overtime. We know how the Stanley Cup playoffs could be. But I think that's going to be a very good series that a lot of people may not pay attention to, but that's one that we'll have to keep an eye on. As far as the other two series, LA and Edmonton, LA, the aging group there, Anze Kopitar, Dustin Brown, who's going to retire. He mentioned, made a mention of his retirement just a couple days ago. He didn't want it to be a big thing or for it to be a distraction for this team moving forward. But Edmonton has to get out of this first round, as I've talked about for many years with Connor McDavid, with Leon Dreisaitl, the team that is just needs a playoff series win under their belt in the worst way. The last time they were able to move out of the first round, I believe, was in 2017 before they lost to Anaheim in a Game 7 in the conference semifinal. And I've talked about Edmonton from the start, considering you have a generational player there with Connor McDavid and obviously the cast of characters that are on that team. And that's not to say that Edmonton needs to go to a cup this year. I did pick them to go to a cup because I thought that maybe they would be able to take that leap despite them not being able to get out of the first round the last couple of years. But I would think that Edmonton is going to be, I'm not going to say a safe pick because LA is going to be threatened. Now they don't have Drew Doughty, their longtime defenseman. He's going to be out for the rest of this series or pretty much the rest of the year. But I think Edmonton's going to win. This could go seven, but I would think they're going to win in six games. And then I would think Calgary for everything that they did this year. And again, another team, well over 100 points, 111 to be exact, 50 wins under their belt. A team that, had three 40-goal scorers led by Johnny Gaudreau, who had 115 points in the regular season. We know about Matt Kachuk and Elias Lindholm. You also have another guy in Andrew Mangiapane who had 35 goals. So you would think that this is going to be tough sledding for Dallas, even with them going to a cup a couple of years ago in that COVID year. But I'm going to say Calgary is going to win this. I would say five, but I'll give Dallas another game. I'll say the Flames will win in six. And then from there, we'll hopefully see an old-fashioned battle of Alberta between Calgary and Edmonton in a conference semifinal. How would that be? This is the one thing about the NHL, unlike the NBA, is that the first rounds in the NBA are super predictable. Now, granted, you had series that didn't go as deep. We were hoping for some Game 7s in the NBA, and that didn't happen. I'll get to the NBA in a second. But we pretty much know the cream rises to the top there in the NBA, where in the NHL... Any one of these guys could be supplanted. Now, would you be shocked if Nashville were to upend Colorado here in the first round? 
Would you see another surprise if any of these other teams that have had great records, that have had great seasons, just get upended? We've seen it time after time. Sometimes they don't even make it out of the conference semifinals. That's the beauty about the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs because you just do not know. This isn't back in the 80s where the dominant Edmonton team or the dominant Islander team that they were going to lose in the first round. You never see that. Today in this day and age, now of course the game is a lot different than it was 35, 40 years ago, but any of these top teams could go down in a flash. And I'm not saying they're going to get swept out of the first round, but think about this. Speaking of sweeps, remember a few years back before the Tampa Cup runs when they played the Columbus Blue Jackets and how the Blue Jackets ambushed them to a first round sweep and nobody saw that coming? That's the beauty of the NHL. Now look what it did for Tampa after that. They certainly were able to build and now win back-to-back cups and see, let's see if they go for a third. But that's the beauty of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Just when you thought your team had this fantastic regular season and that they're going to go on to do big and excellent things, and then the air gets sucked out of the balloon, and next thing you know, they're out on the golf course in about 16 days. Maybe even less than that, depending on if they get swept or not. So those are things to keep an eye on here as we get ready for a Stanley Cup playoff that begins tonight. And quickly to go through the schedule, you'll have four games tonight, four games tomorrow, and you're pretty much going to get a slew of hockey games, which is going to be interesting because you have the TNT side of things to go up against the NBA. I know a lot of these games are going to be TNT and TBS, which you'll see come Thursday and Friday. You're going to see a lot of flip-flopping between ESPN and TNT where you're watching these games especially going up head-to-head with the NBA. Now, the NBA now is down to their final four series, two in each conference, where you're just going to get wall-to-wall NHL here pretty much from the start. So tonight, Boston at Carolina is at 7. Tampa, Toronto kicks off 7.30 there on ESPN2. The Boston-Carolina game is on ESPN, regular ESPN. St. Louis, Minnesota at 9.30 ESPN, followed by LA at Edmonton at 10 on ESPN2. Then tomorrow, Pittsburgh at New York at 7 ESPN. Washington at Florida at 7.30, ESPN 2, Nashville, Colorado at 9.30, and then Dallas at Calgary, respectively, on ESPN, and then the Deuce. And then, obviously, you have the four games Wednesday, the four games Thursday, as you move into the weekend. So that'll pretty much wrap up the NHL. I had to start with the hockey people. They haven't had their just due, and with the beginning of their Stanley Cup run starting tonight, I had to go full bore to give you a preview to let you know what's happening there on the ice as we now pivot to the NBA, and what we saw there for the end of the first round didn't have, excuse me, the drama or any of the buildup that we thought we were, or at least not thought, but we were hoping to expect, especially out of Philly-Toronto where you had the Sixers on the ropes, considering Toronto won a Game 5 in Philadelphia, and a lot of people were thinking, oh geez, if this goes to a Game 7, could you imagine the tension at the Wells Fargo Center for the Sixer fan having to deal with being swept after winning the first three games and the aftermath of what that will be for the coach, I'm sure for the players, etc. But obviously that didn't happen, even though it was a close game in the first half, but the Sixers took over to the point where they won by 35. I mean, go figure there. But you had a major injury coming out of that, which kind of fell under the radar, which I'll get to in a minute. But the Sixers were fine. You could also look at the Suns and what they did to the Pelicans, and the Pelicans are going to be tough. If Zion could even be remotely healthy, the Pelicans are going to be a team that a lot of people are going to have to look out for. But that scene at the end with Willie Green, the coach, who of course was under 
the watchful eye there of Monty Williams at the end. Much respect, much love. Went out to the job that they did this year. But it was all about the Suns and being able to overcome with Devin Booker back into the lineup. And then Chris Paul, as polarizing as he is, where he scores four points in a game four and then was perfect, 14 for 14, 5 for 5 from the free throw line, 33 points in the game, had three turnovers. You couldn't play any better than that. But that's the thing with Paul. When you expect to have the big game from him, he doesn't have that, especially in a critical moment. And then when you think, all right, let's see how he plays, and then he has this game of the ages, then you're like, ah, that's the Chris Paul that I want to see. But you don't know from one game to the next what you're going to get. And I look back on the series last year against the Bucks when they had a 2-0 series lead, and then at game four, and I believe at the top of my head, he had nine points in the game four, where they could have put a stranglehold on the series, they could have took it back to Phoenix for a clinching game five, and as we all know, that didn't happen, and then they just meekly went into the summer losing four straight, and the Bucks were the NBA champions. So we'll get to Dallas and Phoenix in a minute. Memphis, Minnesota, if you're a T-Wolf fan, you had to be sick to your stomach because you blew three double-digit leads in the fourth quarter. I believe the first time that's happened in NBA history. They were just undisciplined. Who knows? I know the coach, Chris Finch, who just got an extension. He's going to have to do, or at least go back to the drawing board here because they had a very good year. This was a series that they should have won. I get it that Memphis was able to capitalize on a lot of the errors and mistakes of what the T-Wolves weren't able to do there, especially down the stretch and throughout the course of these fourth quarters. But give it up for Memphis. They were able to win and win the series. Not as convincing as you'd like if you're a Grizzly fan considering the type of regular season that they had. But if you're a T-Wolf fan, you got to be sick considering that they weren't able to push this to a Game 7 and should have won this series in five games, let's face it. But that didn't happen. And now you move on. Same for Dallas and Utah. What should I get into there? When it comes to those two teams, Utah, they may have to blow it up there because the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert combination isn't working. Mike Conley is a shell of his old self. And Dallas will play Phoenix, and I'll get to that in a second. So let, now let's fast forward here or really take a little bit of a rewind to yesterday where you had Milwaukee and Boston at game one there. And all I could say if you're a Celtic fan is that this is not the Brooklyn Nets. This is a team that plays defense. This is a team that has a little bit of length. And more importantly, this is a team that's won a championship and knows how to win. Where they are the complete opposite of the team they played in the previous round in the Brooklyn Nets. Now, we can't go crazy over one game. It's easy to overanalyze and to overhype what this game one was for the Celtics as they were out as they were just outplayed pretty much from the latter part of the first quarter through the rest of the game. Giannis, who did not shoot well, but obviously his impact was felt throughout the course of the game. Drew Holiday showed a thing or two to Marcus Smart, who had two injuries in the game, and you wonder what his health is going to look like moving forward, considering that quad looks like it's re-aggravated, and that's going to affect him as far as his mobility is concerned. And then on top of that, where Drew Holiday is going to pitch in 25-10, and 10, Bobby Portis also gave you a contribution there with 15 points. And the Celtics were just completely out of sync. I don't want to hear it was rust or the long layoff. Uh-uh. To me, that's nonsense. Jalen Brown had just a god-awful game yesterday. And not even just the shooting. He was 2 for 11 until he got a couple of late baskets in the fourth. Seven turnovers. Made zero impact on this game. Jason Tatum did not play well. Uh, pretty much the whole team was awful. After that 24-17 lead... 
just fizzled, went up in smoke, and then the Bucks just took over and showed who was boss and made Ime Odoka, the coach of this team, have to go back to the drawing board to say, how the hell are we going to match physicality, match offensive output, and mind you, the Bucks scored 101 points. And if I would have told you that the Bucks scored 101, Giannis was 9 for 25 in the game, yes, he did have a triple-double. All right, you got to throw in what Drew Holiday and Bobby Portis did, and of course, no Chris Middleton, you would think, oh, wait a minute, then the Celtics probably won't going away. And that wasn't the case. Well, they could throw that game in the garbage, they have game two tomorrow night. I said yesterday that the Celtics were going to play a long, hard-fought series, and because of the home court, that they're going to win in seven, and I'm going to stick by it. But boy, do they need to switch things up in a hurry if they have any chance to win this series. And the last thing they need to do is go back to Milwaukee down 0-2. Because this will be a shorter series than we could ever expect or imagine. I think they'll bounce back. I think they'll find a way. But they knew that they were going to be in for a street fight knowing that Drew Holiday was going to show Marcus Smart who was boss as far as a guard who plays top-notch defense in his league. Giannis is Giannis. I mean, what could you do? The guy is just pretty much unstoppable. And the Bucks were resourceful and showed and pushed the Celtics around to show that who was boss and who are the champions here and that they are far from the Brooklyn Nets team that they saw in the last round. Then you have Golden State and Memphis. This was a game that I thought Memphis needed to have in their back pocket and for this reason. It's a young team. I know they can play with reckless abandon. But when you're a young team going up against a veteran team, and granted they have Jordan Poole, who's going to be a star in this league, as we've seen right in front of our eyes, not only just in the last series, but you can look at yesterday's game, coming off the bench 12 for 20, and just, the guy's impressive. But when you're going up against the likes of Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and even Draymond Green, who was ejected, and that was just, I get it, it was probably based on reputation. So that's probably one of the reasons why he was ejected, but... Even with the right arm coming down, I think he was trying to catch him with the left arm or at least try to slow the momentum to the point where he grabbed his jersey and it looked like he threw him down to the court. So that was just a bogus call. So that's a flagrant two, which should be rescinded. But with push that aside, for Memphis to lose that game, and they got a great contribution from Jaron Jackson, was not in foul trouble finally, as he was in the previous series. John Morant did not shoot well, and of course in, down the stretch was unable to get a couple of key baskets to at least push his team ahead and possibly win the game. Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks, who have been very steady and very good, were awful yesterday, so you'd think they would bounce back. But if you're a team like Memphis, who has had some tough times here in this postseason, and yes, they got away with murder because of the team on the other side of the court, well guess what? That's not going to happen When it comes to Golden State. The Warriors will not beat themselves. And for them to lose that game yesterday. And knowing that yes. They could have a 120 to 111. Or 120 to 101 type of game. Come tomorrow night. I get it. But those are opportunities. Where you have to seize if you're a young team. And Morant. Who did not shoot well yesterday. Had a shot blocked there. Going to the basket at 117-116. After Clay hit that three. And then even with Thompson missing two free throws which what is the likelihood of that happening, and then having Ja miss the layup there at the end, that would have made him the hero, but the Grizzlies, who, I get it, from one game to the next, and you can say that for any team, but when you're a young team, you have to win those type of games, 
just like you saw them do that against Minnesota. And granted, Minnesota shot themselves in the foot all over the place. And you know Golden State's not going to do that. So that's one thing that you have to keep in mind here as you move forward that whether or not this could be a short series or a long series. I said the Warriors in six. No, as a matter of fact, I said Warriors in seven, excuse me. But it's looking like this could be Warriors in six. Because even if Memphis comes out with a split, you would think Golden State, they're easily going to win one. They possibly could win two in their home building. And then we'll see how the series unfolds from there. As far as the other two series, Philadelphia-Miami, the big injury is Joel Embiid, where you may not see him until Game 3, maybe even Game 4, as he suffered a concussion in the game against, the final game against Toronto, where he has an orbital fracture, and if he's going to be out of the lineup, you can forget about their chances of getting to a conference final, and you wonder, when we look at the James Harden narrative, if you're not going to see Embiid in these first two games, then we know all the pressure is going to be on him. And it's going to be interesting because if he has two good games and they lose, will you still have faith in James Harden moving forward if and when Embiid comes back? Or if he has two god-awful games and they're going to have to force Embiid back into the lineup and he still doesn't play as well as he has. And granted, he did play well in Game 6 against Toronto. But you have to wonder, and nobody's thinking about the offseason and nobody's thinking about next year, but if you're a Sixer fan, you have to keep this in mind for in a case for Harden on how good he plays the series. And we know Miami, they're going to swarm Harden, similar to the way they did with Trey Young in the first round. But Harden is going to be, like I said, a very interesting storyline because he is compromised. He is not the same guy that we've seen, obviously, despite him playing well in Game 6. And if they have any chance to win this series, or at least to get out of Miami alive, he needs to go back to the... Harden 2016, 17, 18 version when he was a member of the Rockets in order for them to get back to Philadelphia with the split and then hopefully have Embiid come back in the lineup for game three, potentially, to try to take a lead in that series. Now, I can't trust Harden. You know how I feel about him in big spots. But we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen here. If Embiid is not back by game three, I could see the Heat winning in five, but I'll say the Heat will win in six. Because I think defensively they're going to be stout. I understand the injury with Butler who didn't play in that game five against the Hawks. As well as Kyle Lowry with his hamstring. Who knows how effective he's going to be or if he is going to be in the lineup tonight. But we'll have to wait and see on that. But I think the Heat will have enough. The resources. Their defense. And I think that they're going to do just enough to beat the Sixers here. Because who knows what you're going to get out of Harden. Obviously, Tyrese Maxey's going to have to elevate his game. Same for Tobias Harris. Harris, as we all know, floats in and out of these games. So I'm going to pick the Heat in six. And then Dallas and Phoenix. To me, the big key is not even just Luka. I think what Jalen Brunson does is going to be huge because if they're going to have a long series, Brunson needs to be at his peak performance, as you saw in a couple of games in the first series against Utah. And it's not to say if Brunson goes three for 18 that they're going to automatically lose. You're going to need a heroic effort from Luka in order for them to mask what Jalen Brunson's not going to do on the offensive end. But I can't see Dallas winning this series. If it goes six games, I'll be surprised. Maybe it does. Maybe Dallas steals a game in Phoenix, one of these first two. If so, they better do it the first game because I could see Phoenix going to Dallas up 2-0. 
I'm going to say Phoenix wins in five. I think Dallas, with what they had to overcome, not having Luka in those first couple of games, and they had a tough game four, which the Jazz won pretty much at the buzzer. And they played pretty well in that series, Dallas. But now they're going against Phoenix. Phoenix was able to get out of that first round, which was a little bit of trouble through the minefields there. New Orleans was dangerous at times. And they got that out of their system. So I'm sure they're not going to take Dallas lightly. And obviously they're not going to take Luka lightly. So I would think the Suns will revert back to their regular season form and they'll beat the Mavs in five. And just looking at the TV schedule, as expected, where the next couple of nights the game's going to be on TNT... As we talked about the NHL, they're going to have ESPN slate the first couple of nights. And then Thursday, there are no games scheduled. Because obviously they want to extend this postseason as far as they possibly can. So you're not going to see Milwaukee, Boston, Golden State, Memphis in a game three on Thursday night. So both of those series are going to get pushed to Saturday. So you're going to have both game threes. Boston at Milwaukee, Memphis at Golden State. 3.30 and 8.30 on Saturday. So... After tomorrow night, you're not going to see them until the weekend to where you'll see Philly-Miami, Dallas-Phoenix there Wednesday and then two nights later for a Game 3, you'll see Miami at Philly, Phoenix at Dallas. Those games will be on ESPN. So NBA into its second round as we move it along here. I'm going to get into baseball. I get it. The NFL fan is probably wondering, come on, J-Reels, get to the draft. Nobody cares about baseball, etc. No, I'm going to get to the NFL last before I bid adieu. And baseball is going to be quick here. There's just going to be a few topics that I'm going to discuss. With the first one being Trevor Bauer. News came down Friday that Major League Baseball gave Bauer 324 game suspension. I believe starting pretty much as of that moment. It's not retroactive to the beginning of the season. I don't know if that has been finalized. But I would think pretty much from when the verdict came down from the higher ups at Major League Baseball. You would pretty much think it was going to start on that day. So if and when Bauer comes back, you're not going to see him until 2024, probably May 1st, let's say. And you would think, based on the suspension, I don't know if any team's going to touch him unless a team is just desperate to have a starting pitcher and fences are mended, Bauer pays his penance for the things that he done. And I understand it's controversial because he was never charged. Why did he get such a lengthy and harsh suspension is definitely debatable. I was shocked that he got it. I mentioned on Friday in my TikTok video where when you look at what happened during the testimony and all the evidence that came out with the choking and whatever, and granted, again, I understand he's not charged. He's not going to be in prison for any length of time or any time for that matter, but sports and not only just that, the climate that we live in, you know that there's going to be an iron fist when it comes to these type of penalties or these type of offenses, I should say, to where they're not going to give Bauer a slap on the wrist, a la Jerry's Familia, a la Aroldis Chapman, even Marcelo Zuna, who got 81 games. Remember, he didn't play the second half of last year. And here there were pictures, there was some evidence, but even then they probably felt as if there was consensual and not to get in, into all that. But for him to get two years was definitely harsh. I thought maybe he'd probably get a year. And granted, we know he hasn't played since last summer, but he has gotten paid for that. It's not as if he was on the administrative leave and he wasn't getting paid. He certainly was. And now he's at a point where he's going to appeal. You know it's going to be a long, arduous task for him to knock down that suspension to, I would think, at least a year. 
That's where they got to start. What are they going to do? He's going to try to get a year and a half. He's going to say, chop a year off that sucker. I want to get back on the mound somewhere next year. That's going to be his thinking and his team. But a year was definitely too harsh. I understand they were using Bauer as the example, even with some of the other players that I mentioned who have been down that road when it comes to having to face the domestic violence policies that Major League Baseball has implemented over the last several years. And for Bauer to be the poster child of what not to do off the field when it comes to engaging with someone in that type of fashion, it's tough luck. Who knows when this is all said and done? Will Bauer just get one year? Will it be less than that? Who knows? But does Bauer pitch in baseball? That's going to be the bigger question. And I can't see any team touching him. You know he's going to want a lot of money, so you can forget about the teams that are going to be at the bottom, the Pirates of the world, the Diamondbacks. They're not going to go anywhere near him. And it's going to be a team that's going to be contending or needs that one final piece that's going to say, up the hell with it. He paid his dues. I'm going to sign this guy for one year, try to get lightning in a bottle, and let's see if he could bring us a championship. You know there's going to be a GM or an owner that's going to think that way because at the end of the day, it's all about winning. So whether or not he gets that opportunity, let's say as early as two years from now, or if luck would have it on his side a year from today, we'll just have to wait and see. Would I be surprised if that's the case? If an owner says, what the hell, let's roll a dice on this guy? I wouldn't be surprised. But that's for then. This is now, again, a little bit harsh. or well, not a little bit. Very harsh considering. And I understand there's that faction that said, well, he's never been arrested or he was never charged. He's not guilty. Innocent to prove it guilty. Why does he have to sit out for two years? Or why is he getting this lengthy suspension? It all boils down to these policies that the leagues have put forth where... It's intolerable. And even though he's not going to sit in a jail cell or be behind prison bars, there's still going to be consequences to pay of your behavior off the field when you act a certain way, whether you're guilty or not. And this is what happens in a case, whichever Bauer. The hottest team in baseball, can't even argue. The New York Yankees, nine in a row. I get it that they've beaten up on the Cleveland Guardians and the Baltimore Orioles, as well as the Royals this week. Or weekend, I should say. And people could say, oh, Jay Reels, you can only play the teams in front of you. And they beat Baltimore, yes. But they lost to Baltimore two out of three in Baltimore the week before and got shut out in the final game. All right, understood. And again, you can only beat the teams that are in front of you. But now to go to Toronto, interesting test there as they go north of the border for three games before they come back home. So we'll see how they fare up in Toronto as they go for 10 straight tonight in Toronto. And then the Mets... Continue to win another series, seven straight series to start off the year, obviously extending their franchise record. They had a combined no-hitter there on Friday night where, even though I posted a video on TikTok the following day, but a combined no-hitter doesn't have the same appeal as a starting pitcher going the full nine and getting his just due. Still an unbelievable accomplishment when you think five pitchers were in there and a team like the Phillies who have tons of bats throughout that lineup. So for them to be able to pull that off, It was remarkable to say the least. And even though last night Max Scherzer gave up three long balls, but was still effective and the Met offense woke up, even though they only scored one run the night before, but they end up putting a 10 spot on the Phillies. And they're going to see the Phillies a lot here over the next few weeks. In fact, they're going to play 13 of their 19 regular season matchups with Philadelphia before Memorial Day. They go to Philadelphia for four this weekend. 
and then they play Memorial Day weekend at home against the Phillies, on top of four against the Braves this week, starting tonight, where they have a doubleheader tomorrow, which is a makeup, or one of the games is being made up because the second series, which was lost during the lockout, the Mets are going to make up with the Braves here. So one of those games is going to be made up tomorrow. So they have eight games over the course of the next seven days. So let's see what the Mets will do here as they have the NL East foes, Braves coming to town, and then they have to go back to Philly there on Thursday. And speaking of the Braves, you have Ronald Acuna Jr. off of the IL as he played last Thursday against the Cubs. That was his first game. I believe he went one for four. He's only had a couple of hits since he's been brought up, but now we'll see him front and center at City Field over the next four days. So the Braves will pretty much be whole having Acuna back in the fold for the first time since he tore his knee down in Miami there in the outfield before the All-Star break. So we'll get a chance to give him a look-see over the course of these three days. All right, now I can pivot here, people. I'll go to the NFL, because pretty much baseball, I'm not going to get into the divisions and what's going on there. I'll take more of a bird's-eye view there on the Thursday podcast. So let's get to the NFL. And before I even get to, I've never been a big guy when it comes to winners and losers. Yes, we could talk about who made surprising picks or who made a reach. If you want to talk about the New England Patriots, stay in the first round with the kid, the guard out of Chattanooga. Or what the Jets did in the first round. They got their corner, they got their receiver, and they had a defensive end. The pass rusher dropped down to what were they picking, 25th or somewhere in the 20s. And we could look at those right off the bat as a winner and a loser of this draft, so to speak. But we all know that we have to wait a couple of years to see if these guys pan out because we don't know from one year to the next. Yes, on April 30th, we could say, oh, these guys were the kings of the draft. These guys were the far winners. This is a lock. These players are going to pan out. We still have to wait and see. So if you're coming here to find out who Jay Reels feels were the winners and losers of the draft, sorry, you're going to have to go somewhere else. And I'm not trying to deter you or trying to kick you over to another podcast, but again, we're not going to know how these players play out, especially when you look at who Jacksonville picked at number one with the Trevon Walker pick, where so many people were killing that pick, knowing that they had a ton of other defensive players, including Jordan Davis, who's the guy that a lot of people think that could be the best player in the in the entire draft, where you could argue that the Jaguars could have picked him. So people could say, oh, the Jaguars got their guy, but for all the things you heard about Walker over the weekend, is a guy that doesn't have a high motor, that is probably the third best defensive player on that Georgia defense that won a national title. You could go through all of it. But we're not going to know if he's going to have that impact, not just in year one, but year two. You could probably look after year three for sure to say whether this kid was a bust, whether this kid still has to improve, or this guy's arrived as a top-notch defensive lineman in the NFL. So that's the reason why I'm not going to go through the ins and outs, ups and downs, the winners, losers, who should have picked this guy. This guy was... On the board, they should have selected him, etc. And that's the same for my beloved Steelers, because I could argue that with all the draft picks that they got, where was any one of those picks being on the offensive line? Because even though they had high selections last year in the second and third round, when it comes to them picking and knowing that they needed to bolster the offensive line in the worst way, but out of their picks this year, they picked two wide receivers, they picked a tight end, which happened to be 
Cameron Hayward's brother, Connor, the tight end out of Michigan State. And yes, they did draft a quarterback in the seventh round from South Dakota State of all places. But there was not one guy, whether in the later rounds or even in the seventh round, they thought, hey, let's bring in this offensive line guy, this guy from such and such university or blah, blah, blah state, and let's plug him in and let's see what he could do for us. The Steelers didn't have any of those guys in mind as far as drafting from the offensive line. So that's why you can't look at this in a macro. Yes, we could dissect it and analyze and overanalyze and analysis by paralysis. I get it. But that's the NFL show. That's the, the draft Nick show. That's why, what, that's why I don't get fully deep down the rabbit hole when it comes to those winners and losers. Now, when it comes to the draft on a whole, and I'll start with the production, they need to bring it back to Radio City. I know the NFL is not going to do that because they want each NFL city to experience what the draft is like. And of course, I'm sure it's a cash cow on top of that, which is a disgrace too, because that's the one event that the NFL should just hang back and not be all about the money and just give to the fan as a freebie. And I'm sure maybe there are free tickets. And we all know that it's a high demand and I'm sure they're giving them out like hotcakes, the tickets. I don't even know. But I remember in the latter years of the draft that the seats or the tickets were hard to come by and I believe you even had to purchase them. For a nominal fee, it's not as if you had to pay 50 bucks to get in there. But still, I didn't like just the setup there the hangar that looked like it was in a parking lot. To me, get back to the intimate setting. Get back to the real fans, the real fans that go to these events, that go to the draft. Because when you have a contingent of Jacksonville fans dressed up in Jaguar garb, do I really think that they flew from Jacksonville to Vegas to be a part of this draft? Absolutely not. Those are manufactured by the network, by the league, to just say, here, guys, just put on a few hats, throw on the jersey, when the camera's on, you just cheer, and that's it. It's just so, ugh, I can't stand it. So I wish they could bring it back to Radio City just to really give it the vibe that the fan through your television set could see that it's natural, to see that it's organic and not this made-up, like I said, manufactured, just saccharined look of what the NFL draft should be. Uh, to me, I can't stand it. But when we take a quick look here, the Eagles were obviously big players here, not only getting Jordan Davis, but also the trade for A.J. Brown. Now another piece to that offense to go along with the number one pick of last year, Devontae Smith. But we all know Jalen Hurts. Is that guy the answer? I don't think he is. But Brown gets his money. Another Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown, goes to Arizona, which to the chagrin of Lamar Jackson, as he wrote WTF on his tweet, there Thursday night, and Brown reunites with Kyler Murray, where they both played at Oklahoma. So let's see if that's going to be another piece to their puzzle as they try to get themselves deeper into an NFL postseason next year. But the Jets did well. I know a lot of people looked at Malik Willis with his arm at Liberty. He goes to Tennessee, which I thought was a very wise pick by them. Considering Ryan Tannehill, you still have a couple of years with that contract, and he could be the understudy for... Tannehill, and then when the time comes, maybe you could put Malik Willis there as the starter. So between trading A.J. Brown and also bringing in Malik Willis, and then they also drafted a wide receiver in the process, I thought that was a very smart move for Tennessee as they try to get the bad taste out of their mouth, losing in that divisional round game to Cincinnati and doing a rebuild on the fly, so to speak. I know people want to get my take on Kenny Pickett, 
it was a safe pick for Pittsburgh. They were trying to look for their guy. I thought maybe they would look more toward Malik Willis, but I figured the guy's in their backyard. They probably scoped him out. He had a very productive and solid senior year. We understand the small hands, and that could mean a lot of fumbles and turnovers, which you're going to have to hold your breath when the pocket collapses. But Pickett, hopefully he could be, as I said, 50% of what Ben Roethlisberger was. And a lot of Roethlisberger was toughness, was guts. And again, I'd rather have him have more of that than the ability because based on what you see, and you can't just all go by highlights, but the ability looks like it's there. But you do have to wonder whether or not Pickett's going to be the guy that is going to lead this franchise to bigger and better things. Obviously with Roethlisberger now off to retirement. I can't say, I mean, please, if I'm going to tell you that, yeah, he's going to be the answer, he's going to be the guy, etc., then please, uh, I'm just faking the funk, and I will not do that to you guys, the listener, and gals, of course. Uh, I'm going to call it as I see it and be a straight shooter. Can he be good? Well, of course he can. He has a running back, he's got pieces, they drafted more wide receivers. It's interesting how the Steelers, they draft wide receivers better than anybody, and they drafted two with their second and third round pick. I mean, I don't understand. When you take George Pickens out of Georgia and Calvin Austin out of Memphis, you would think that the Steelers are bereft at the position when they have Deontay Johnson, who I understand they have to pay, and Chase Claypool. You want to throw in a little James Washington. You know, it's not as if this team has no wide receivers, but for whatever the reason, they want to put out a bunch of wideouts there for Kenny Pickett or for Mitchell Trubisky. And I guess, yes, the more the merrier, but... Could they have drafted an offensive lineman somewhere in between? That's my gripe there. And again, with the losers, I know the Cowboys, they took a reach there with Tyler Smith out of Tulsa. A lot of people thought maybe they should have gone after the pass rusher considering they lost Randy Gregory to Denver and maybe Jermaine Johnson, who the Jets drafted. That was a guy that the Cowboy fan fell in love with and wanted to have on their team. That didn't happen. But again, people, we're all going to see how this shakes down not only just this rookie year and the next year, but after the third year, we could really get a base as to who are the booms or busts of this draft. But you would think the Eagles did well, the Giants did well. I like what Tennessee did. Like I said, Pittsburgh was safe. Giants, they were safe too, bringing in the offensive lineman and the pass rusher in Thibodeau and Evan Neal. And again, We'll get more into it, training camp, and as everything starts to gear up to the OTAs, but right now, the NFL, the draft is over, we can now focus in on the other things. All right, to wrap up, people, let's get to it, my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week goes out to former Rutgers coach and Hall of Famer, C. Vivian Stringer, as she announced her retirement after 50 years. Do I really need to get into her resume? Just that alone, 50 years at that position... And everything that she's been a part, not only of that university, but of that community. When you think of Rutgers basketball, men's or women's, it doesn't matter. You're going to think the first person that comes to mind is C. Vivian Stringer. 50 years. Well over 1,000 wins. We know the final four births, all the tournament appearances, 28 of them in total. I talked about her being a Naismith Hall of Famer the year she went in with Michael Jordan, if you recall, uh, way back when. But kudos to her on a remarkable career. So C. Vivian Stringer, you are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week 
goes out to Utah Jazz assistant coach Keon Dooling, former NBA player, played for the Nets, even the Clippers, was drafted by them, and also was an ex-vice president of the Players Association for the NBA, was arrested in a fraud case where federal officials said a number of former NBA players, they combined to collect about $2.5 million from a benefit plan as they were illegally pocketing millions of dollars by defrauding the league's health and welfare benefit plan. And whenever you have a situation like this, uh, any player for that matter, and not to say that he was the ringleader of all this, but when you come out to know that you're arrested and probably are likely one of the top people that are involved and to not only have to get arrested, but to go through this in an embarrassing fashion, there isn't any way, shape, or form that you can slice it that for some of these players, and former players for that matter, we saw this in the NFL with Clinton Portis and guys like that that were busted for trying to do pretty much the same thing that what Keon Dooling and I'm sure quite a few others that will come out in the days and weeks to come with the league's health and benefit plan. Come on, guys. What are we doing here? We should know better. Trying to build the system here for a couple of extra bucks. So Keon Dooling, my guy, sorry to say, but you are my zero of the week. And that'll do it. I know this was a little bit longer than normal, but I had an NHL Stanley Cup playoff preview and a lot to get into. And I know maybe for the NFL fan, if I shortchanged you on the draft, it's because I didn't want this to drag on to an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, etc. So probably I have a little bit more there on the Thursday podcast when it comes to what happens in the NFL and everything else that happens in the world of sports. And for you guys and gals, I am sincerely grateful and thankful for your participation and listening to what it is that I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports. Of course, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. There are several out there, as you well know, and I'm sure you probably get your information from other podcasts. Again, I thank you for stopping by to check me out on a week-to-week basis, I hope, and hopefully not just once a week, but twice a week. But throw me a few stars, write a review. All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. So your participation is highly encouraged and gratefully and thankfully for you to do so. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you can hit me up on any of my social media accounts, whether it's TikTok, the J Reels podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels podcast, on Twitter, J Reels one, just a number, Facebook, the J Reels podcast fan page, and the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Please, whatever it is you want to send, forward it my way. I'll follow up ASAP. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, please. It will not only be gratefully appreciated, but humbly appreciated as every red cent will go towards the production, the website, the equipment, anything and everything that has to entail with what it is that I do week in and week out to put forth the best and top-notch quality of a sports podcast out there because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. As I like to say, it's in the blood, it's in the DNA to critique, to share my thoughts, opinions, praise, analysis, on anything and everything that happens in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. 
the South Bronx, the South East, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless, everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.